Another pot of coffee is brewing. My fifth cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray. Self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and very honest caffeine fiend. I can't believe it's just over a week until Christmas. Seriously, where has the last month gone? By the time I release my next episode, people will be putting presents under trees and wondering if they have enough time to go out and get a gift for someone they had totally forgotten about. Sorry if I've forgotten anyone, that's the way they're going to stay this year. Amazon is quick, but it really is not that quick. I was going to upload my collaboration with Lorraine from the fantastic Once Upon a Nightmare this week, but when I listened back, I realised it was both an amazing episode and so very Christmassy that it needed to be kept back until next week. Yes, I am uploading on Christmas Eve. I don't finish for Christmas until 6pm next Thursday evening, and I figured that I wouldn't be the only one working until the last possible moment. I will highlight that I actually wasn't meant to be working until the last minute, but the company I work for changed their minds about holiday. Thank you so much. Which then meant that I had to change all of my plans. And by all of them, I mean cancelling people coming to my house to bake, cancelling the lift I was going to get to my sister's so we could start our celebrations the day after the government has actually given the all clear for the 23rd to 27th. But anyway, more about that much later. For the last few weeks, my dreams have not been kind. And by that I mean I have been waking every single morning with a stonking headache and the faintest of memory of dreams that I can only recall in that first moment after I open my eyes. I'm not sure if it's my subconscious trying to protect me from something. Seriously, if it was going to protect me, why couldn't it protect me from some of the other dreams I've had? Or if I'm going through a sleep cycle that is just a mess of random thoughts I'm not meant to remember. But whatever the case may be, There will be no weird dream this week, and instead I will be moving straight onto the film. Huge congratulations have to go this week to Griff from The Paul and Griff Show, who somehow managed to guess the film I'm going to be talking about, and I have no no idea how he did it, given the clues. Oh, and if you haven't listened to their show, The Paul and Griff Show, you really should. So... What film did Griff guess? (laughs) It's one that I think is largely overlooked and hugely underrated, and that is 2011's Chalet Girl. It's what I think is a really feel-good film, where the underdog rises above it all and wins. Because why would anybody make a film where the main protagonist loses? Or dies? Not that there's any death in this. Well, indirectly, but... You'll see what I mean as I go on. This film was directed by someone called Phil Trail, that's two L's, who has left a trail of really random credits after his name on IMDb, including one that earned him a Razzie nomination for Worst Director. But we're not going to touch that one. This film, however, is perfect for a cold Sunday afternoon, accompanied by tea and dark chocolate digestives. They are among my favourite snacks and especially perfect for dunking. And yes, I said tea, not coffee. 
because Sunday afternoon is tea. I am definitely very British when it comes to that. If you're a fan of Star Wars or have perhaps watched The Theory of Everything, you know, the biography of Stephen Hawking, then you will definitely recognise Felicity Jones, who plays Kim Matthews. She's an ex-skateboarding champion who quit the sport just as she was making a name for herself following the tragic death of her mum, Thea, in a car accident. Fast forward a few years and her after-school job in a fast-food chicken place has become her full-time job. Seriously, they make it out that this is something that doesn't happen very often when I know for a fact I actually ended up staying in a job for five years that I started working in when I first went to university. Her boss, played by Tom Goodman-Hill, is a bit of a dick, hinting that he'll give Kim more hours if she is nice to him. Luckily for Kim, though, she now needs money because her dad is out of work and they've got red bills piling up. Her friend and co-worker Trace has a better suggestion in mind. Apparently, one of her cousins has discovered a so-called scam that isn't actually a scam at all. It's actually the sort of job that was incredibly popular when I was in my teens, along with the whole au pair thing. A live-in housemaid or chalet girl at a ski resort. Hence the title. Of course, Kim has to take a shot, so she heads to an agency where she is the only girl with a name shorter than two syllables. Everyone else who is there to interview is clearly middle class, at least, from wealthy parents, privately educated, and know the difference between a salad and a dessert fork. I only know that you eat from the outside in, and that's as far as I will go. They also, however, lack more practical skills. The fact that they are all girls with names like Arabella or Petronella is a stereotype. I know that, but it's what films tend to do. They find a stereotype and pile it on about as thick as the Kardashians' makeup. Just as Kim is being told that she doesn't pass muster by Ella, the agency owner, who is played by Jessica Hines, who was also in one of my favourite shows, Spaced, and of course, Shaun of the Dead, a phone call comes in from a big and well-paying client, letting her know that one of her girls has broken her leg and a replacement is needed immediately. Bella immediately looks to Kim. And I'm not sure if it's a case of Kim sticking her two fingers up at the whole you're not good enough thing or what, but Kim turns the job down and heads home. When she tells her dad, who is played by comedic treasure Bill Bailey, I love him so much, definitely watch Black Books if you haven't done already, she also makes sure to tell him that she doesn't want to leave him alone, almost as though he's the excuse she can use so she doesn't have to take a chance. He persuades her that she should go. I mean, seriously, it's a massive opportunity and one that she is not likely to get again. The money that is being offered, plus the tips she's told she'll earn, will definitely come in handy. They're getting final demands on everything. Any and every penny counts. After a quick call to Bella, who is still ringing round trying to find someone to take this job at the very last minute, it's all systems go. And there's zero mention of passports or any other travel prep. And I have to say, I so wish that travel could be much easier without the traditional last minute dash for a passport. And who hasn't done that? And of course, that worry you can't help feeling when the passport still hasn't arrived the day before you're due to leave. 
I know so many people this has happened to. They've literally had to head up to London and the passport office the day before they're due to travel. Being honest, though, I miss the paper one-year passports you used to be able to get. They were abolished way back in 1995, but I still remember getting them, and I think you got them from the post office. Anyway, I definitely digress. After a quick montage that shows Kim preparing way more lasagna than any one person should eat in a lifetime, let alone in six months, we see her take flowers to the site of her mother's death before she heads off to the Tyrol. And I have to say, the Tyrol is a stunning part of the country. I am really happy to say I once had the pleasure of calling my home. Oh, and before I forget, Tesco's. Seriously, they get a Tesco's delivery. And this one is someone they know by, they are going to know by name. She's called Trish. It's going to be same person every single time because Kim has arranged for deliveries as far in advance as she can, apparently every Friday. And this particular driver even unpacks and puts away the shopping. Why can't I get one of them? Seriously, I will, no joke, get a grocery delivery. I will put away the perishables, so everything in the fridge and the freezer, and then the unperishables, so the cans and the things, the packets of flour and sugar, will stay on the side for weeks. Not because I haven't got room for them, but more because I will use them and I don't mind seeing them on the side. What's the point? Well, okay, so there is a point, but at the same time, I can leave them on the side and know they're going to be fine, especially because my kitchen is as cold as a fridge. Kim is met at the station by Georgie, the other chalet girl, who is played by popular 2000s posh girl Tamsin Edgerton. There's the perfect setup here for an Austrian stereotype, that of everything being chintzy, all horse-drawn sleighs and carriages, when Georgie tells Kim to get in. Kim immediately slings her bags into the carriage parked right in front of the station, one that Georgie also happened to be standing in front of when they met. As it pulls away, Georgie gets into the VW parked behind it, causing Kim to have to race after the carriage to get her bags back. I know it's sort of predictable and has been done so many times, but I have never forgotten getting off the plane when I arrived in Austria at 18. Yeah, I was quite young, dumping the massive suitcase into which I'd packed most of my teenage life in the boot of my new employer's car and getting in only to find that the steering wheel was where I was sure the glove box should be. So mistakes definitely happen. I felt like a total numpty and my new employer just laughed at me and asked if I wanted to drive, which if you know anything about my actual experiences with driving (laughs) is a big fat no. Georgie is clearly not happy that Kim took the job that apparently 15 other girls had asked her about, but the agency rules that the person they hire has to have been seen in person, which is why Kim ended up with the job. And to further enforce that Kim isn't really welcome, she gives only a cursory tour of the house before leaving Kim to it while she heads off to ski. To Georgie, Kim is a bit of a joke, an anachronism. She's a shally girl who doesn't know how to ski. When Georgie returns from skiing with her friend Jules, who's played by another popular 2000s posh girl, Georgia King, she tells Kim the three rules of the house. 
1. Don't bring friends back to the house. 2. Don't sleep with the guests unless they're hot, minted or hit on you. 3. Breakfast has to be on the table at 8am whether you've been partying hardy the night before or not. Apparently, the Madsons, who own the chalet where Kim is now working, are a dream family to work for. They occasionally bring guests to the mountains and infrequently make a trip when the snow is good. But for the most part, the family is in London and the chalet lies empty but for the staff. The last thing that Kim is expecting when Georgie takes her to the private airport to meet the Madsons, yes, private airport, they have a private jet, and they have a helicopter, which is mentioned later on, is that she's going to see their only son and be instantly attracted. She's there to work, to earn money, to help her dad, nothing more. Johnny Madsen, who is played by Gossip Girl alum Ed Westwick, is an unwelcome distraction she cannot afford. Georgie, seeing the way that Kim zoned in on Johnny, makes sure to tell her that he's taken. And he is, having been in a relationship with Chloe, who is played by yet another teen drama alum, Sophia Bush, who was in One Tree Hill. Johnny and Chloe aren't alone on this trip, however. Johnny's parents, Dickie and Caroline, played by Bill Nye and Brooke Shields respectively, are with them, as is Chloe's brother, Nigel. I'm not sure if he's older or younger. It's never really made clear. And he is played by Nicholas Braun, who is probably better known to most for his two-season stint on Succession, which I know won a load of Emmys and Golden Globes, but I haven't seen it yet. I think I probably should. It stars Brian Cox and I really like him. Nigel clearly has a massive thing for Georgie and can't stop putting his foot in his mouth and it's normally something sexual. They talk about the size of Johnny's dick and then (laughs) Nigel pipes up with something desperately inappropriate and if he just stopped at I know what to do with it, it would have been fine. However, he didn't. He carried on and That was just so cringeworthy and I felt embarrassed for him. And for some reason, Caroline Madsen, Johnny's mother, has taken an immediate disliking to Kim. She can't get her name right and won't even greet her when they first meet, though she's all over Georgie as though they are really close friends. But I do get the feeling from things that are said by Johnny and Georgie when they see each other, and also by Chloe, that Georgie has been a fixture in their lives for a very long time. She mentions having known Johnny when he was 10, so I think they probably grew up together. Though that does then beg the question, why is she working for them? Johnny is surprisingly down to earth, though Kim is staying well away. And when she's given the opportunity to do something with her time outside of cooking and cleaning... She picks up a snowboard, not that she's ever picked up one before. Initially, she's not very good and causes a bit of an incident on the slopes, which leads her to meet Mickey Niemannen, who is played by well-known, well, in Germany anyway, actor Ken Duken. He takes it upon himself to teach this Betty, as he refers to Kim, which reminds me of, you know, the Betty and the Baldwin, how to snowboard, seeing that she has some potential. We get a few montages, as you always do in these films, of Kim falling down and getting back up again. And then we see that she is getting the hang of it, doing a few more tricks as she grows more accustomed to the board. She also makes an impression on Tara Dakidis, who is legitimately an American snowboarder. Again, this is sport, and I have said before, I am no good at sport. 
and she's playing herself. Well, almost. Tara tells Kim that she's on a beginner's board that's ancient and if she goes to the local store and mentions that Tara sent her, she'll get a discount on gear. Time passes. Kim is getting more into her boarding and has been persuaded by Mickey, who has a strange thing going on with Georgie, to enter the Roxy Slope-style end-of-season competition with the prize being a whopping $25,000. It seems in this time that Kim has somehow forgotten the main reason she was in Austria in the first place. She told her dad, Bill, all about the generous tips that Dickie had given her and Georgie when their trip ended and he was expecting that money in their bank account but Kim is so enamoured of snowboarding that she spends all of the money on gear, thermals, a new board, pads and a helmet and that does end up adding up. They are celebrating Kim's birthday when Georgie persuades Kim to invite a load of people back to the cabin. Rule number one, broken. But they don't expect to get caught because, as far as they're concerned, everybody's back in London and they are perfectly safe. Kim is showing everyone what she's got. Seriously, this is so mortifying. I don't think I would be able to face anybody again if this was me literally wearing nothing but mittens and a bobble hat when Johnny, Chloe and Nigel pull up at the chalet. The house is a mess and though Bernhard, a man that Georgie refers to as the all-round ski guide, fixer and gimp, does his best to ensure that the girls are punished, having not told them that the fresh snow is Johnny's reason for arriving at the chalet on an impromptu visit, his campaign is thwarted. Of course, Johnny is impressed when he sees Kim out on the snow, despite the fact that she is unable to do what could be seen by many as a relatively easy jump. Unfortunately, Chloe is determined to impress and get Johnny's attention all on her, and she ends up badly breaking her leg when she does the jump blindly and lands badly. The trip is cut short, but Johnny tells Kim that he and his dad will be back the following week with some potential investors as they attempt to woo them into giving the family business some money. Here, I am going to say, as I say in almost every film, I have no idea what they do, just that it means they're incredibly wealthy. Though I love this film, I am not oblivious to its faults, and one of the biggest ones is the lack of clear timeline. At the beginning of the film, Kim is making food for her dad, enough to last six months. When Kim overhears Jules and Georgie talking, the trip is four months. When Kim sees the posters for the Roxy Slope-style competition when she's going up in a ski lift with Mickey, it's three months away. It's just confusing. Anyway, it could be a week later. It could be a month. Again, time but Johnny and Dickie seriously what is with these names guys return with a group of potential investors Malcolm Lawrence and Charles one of whom is actually played by the guy who is a dad is Neil's dad in fact in the in-betweeners they are all slimy and obsessed with breasts that's the first thing and probably the only thing that struck me and remained with me On the second day that the group are at the chalet, Dickie says that they're going on a ski trip, which he requests Georgie caters for them. But she tells him that she's not feeling well, so Kim will go. Kim is incredibly surprised here. You'll see why I said helicopter. 
she's surprised when it turns out they aren't going up the mountain the traditional way. Instead, they are going by helicopter. Business goes well, partially thanks to the fact that Kim doesn't take offence to their obscene and totally inappropriate objectification. My God, they are so vulgar. And when it comes time for everyone to leave for the UK, Johnny says that he's going to stay behind for a few days. You get the impression from the way that his dad looks at him that he knows what Johnny has in mind. And it's like he's giving his blessing, which is really strange. But then it becomes clear as to why he's giving his approval a little bit later on. You could almost predict it even if you didn't see the DVD cover or the posters, but Johnny and Kim end up in bed together. However, their fling is cut short when his mother, Caroline, arrives and reminds him that he needs to get back to London in time for his engagement party. Yeah, he proposed to Chloe. Because it was expected more than anything else, okay, they'd been together for five years and they were comfortable, but... If he was that comfortable, would he be sleeping with somebody else? Understandably, Kim is not only fired from her job at the chalet by a horrified Caroline who thinks that her son has been slumming, but she is also furious and hurt. She decides that she's going to leave on the next train and return home, where she knows where things are and she knows what she's doing and she knows her position in life. Only when she gets to the station, she's served by a girl at a fast food place who has that same empty look in her eyes that Kim had before she found snowboarding. The hopelessness that goes with a dead-end job that you barely survive. Kim has decided she's not going to give up. She heads over to stay with Mickey, who, it turns out, is a really good friend. Staying there will give her some space, a place to rest her head, and she'll still be able to train for the competition. Unfortunately, or not so unfortunately really, things aren't going so well for Cheaty Johnny. While at his own engagement party, he realises something momentous, just as his mother is about to announce the happy couple. He's not in love with Chloe and he doesn't want an empty marriage. He's in love with Kim. This is where his dad shines. After Johnny has told Chloe and been all but neutered by the precise application of a crutch to his groin, Dickie covers for him and heads to the stage where his, his wife is just about to announce that her son and Chloe are now engaged. Again, here, there is a tiny little time glitch, or maybe not such a tiny time glitch. It really makes me question if I've skipped something or missed something or they cut a massive load of stuff out. It's the only way to explain because otherwise the timeline is so confusing. So I'm going to go back and run through it and see if you can figure out where I'm going wrong. Johnny and Kim sleep together. Caroline shows up to get Johnny back to the UK for his engagement party the next morning. Kim is fired and goes to stay with Mickey. Johnny ditches Chloe at their engagement party, which Caroline showed up to Austria to pick up Johnny for. Kim takes part in the competition but is one point away from qualifying so she's the reserve. The next day, she's in. Either Johnny walked from London to the Tyrrell or he didn't immediately head there to be with Kim because he shows up after she's won. I have no idea where he's been. Anyway, as I said, it all ends up really well for Kim. Not only does she get to compete, but she overcomes her fear of jumps. 
And this is the point, the only point in the film where I actually choke up a bit. It's when Kim gets to the jump and she can see her mum there proudly waving a banner that says, Go Kim. And this gives her the push she needs to actually do it. Oh, and of course, we've already mentioned she gets the guy. So, we know that Kim is 19 at the start of the film and has her 20th birthday when she's out there. But how old is Johnny? Yes, he's working for his family's company, but surely he needed to go to university first, right? So, how old is he? <laughs> Doesn't really matter, but it's one of those things that I oh, <laughs> I occasionally think of when I'm watching it. How much older than her is he? We know she didn't go to university and... We don't even know if she did A-levels, but we know that she's got a job and she's got practical skills. It doesn't really matter, though. As I have said, this is an old faithful for me. I have the DVD, but it is also currently on both Netflix and Amazon Prime, so I am spoiled for choice, which is great. If you love something that just gives you a bit of a warm, glowy feeling, is light-hearted, doesn't cover disasters or war or anything serious, then this film is something you can stick on while you're surfing the net or wrapping Christmas presents. Hey, I'm being time appropriate here. Before I get to my rundown of the UK streaming services for the next seven days, I'd love to share a promo with you from some great guys called Four Nerds by Nerds. Hey there, do you like movies, cartoons, video games, anime, and everything in between? Then we have a show for you. The Four Nerds by Nerds podcast. Every week, Josh and Ben bring you all the latest and greatest in movie reviews, news, commentaries, interviews, special guests, and tons of bonus episodes. New episodes come out every Monday. We also make great nerdy content on our YouTube channel. You can find our show anywhere podcasts are found. The Four Nerds by Nerds podcast. Your one stop for all your nerdy needs. Stay nerdy, my friends. Okay, so now we've talked about what I watched this week, or at least one thing I watched this week, let's take a look at the offerings from the UK streaming services from the 18th to the 24th of December. Oh, well, time is definitely flying this year. Not that that's actually a bad thing. Netflix has a nice little list this week, including one of the last roles played by Chadwick Boseman before he passed away this summer at the age of 43. So, here goes. December the 18th sees the release of the second season of Norwegian family Christmas drama Home for Christmas, as well as the Boseman-Davis historical drama Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I would definitely recommend from reviews you watch. On the 20th, Mary Queen of Scots, starring Margot Robbie and Saoirse Ronan, is added, as is the all-female Ocean's 8 with Anne Hathaway and Rihanna. I know there's loads more people in it, but they're the first ones that stuck in my head. On the 21st, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society, based on the best-selling book of the same name and starring Lily James, premieres on Netflix. On December the 22nd, fans of Shaun the Sheep will be really happy because the latest season, that's season five, of this stop-motion animation is added to the platform. And finally, on December the 23rd, a sci-fi offering from George Clooney called The Midnight Sky premieres. I haven't actually read very much about that, so if you know anything about it, leave a comment. Amazon is still not amazing, but their first offering on the 18th is season four, well... 
one episode in reality of the Grand Tour in which Clarkson, Hammond and May race to Madagascar. This is followed closely by Spanish miniseries The Legend of El Cid, as well as 1984's James Cameron hit The Terminator. On the 21st of December, you'll be treated to Pretty Woman, Star Trek Beyond and the first outing of the Little Yellow Minions in 2010's Despicable Me. And if you love the After series, not my cup of tea, but that's personal, which was apparently a book on Wattpad, then you'll be happy to hear that the second film, After We Collided, hits prime on the 22nd of December. Of course, after the first film in the series is currently on Netflix. On the 18th on Disney+, Plus, we are treated to the release of Eragon, which is based on the first book in the Inheritance Cycle series by Christopher Paolini. I think I pronounced his name right, and that only took five times of recording to get it there. Okay, this is probably the hardest bit, but I did promise an update, so I'm going to give it. I don't know how many people are aware, but mental health isn't only something that you can see Well, it isn't something you can see internally unless you're physically scanning someone 24 hours a day. But it is something that has external signs. And for me, it causes flare-ups of psoriasis and bad skin. And when I looked in the mirror on Tuesday morning after four days off work, I realised that my skin was horrific. I don't know if this is because I had had four days of sleeping in and relaxing and on Monday night I was feeling quite tense because I was going to be going back to work again on Tuesday or what but when I woke up on Tuesday morning my skin was flaky and gross and I'm so sorry to share this with you but I believe in 100% transparency and this is me being completely transparent okay so my skin is almost translucent because I'm so pale but that's totally different story Anyway, when I woke up on Tuesday morning, I felt sick, headachy, my stomach was really uncomfortable, I didn't want to eat anything, and all I could think was, is it now that I should be looking for a new job? I'm not sure quite what is wrong at the moment. There is something in my head that is not unbalanced but at the same time I am feeling incredibly low, tired, stressed, anxious. How many more words do I need to describe depressed? I am struggling to function on a normal level and I don't know what is going to make it better. We break up from work on the 24th we were meant to break up on the 23rd but things got changed around and we didn't actually formally get told we just got kind of informed that this change was going to happen and that meant I had to change a lot of plans the 24th is and has been for the last 
oh god 11 years the day when I have my sister's children and we do our Christmas baking that means all of the sugar cookies that we decorate with royal icing that means all the brownies that means the mince pies this year also Yorkshire puddings and the main Christmas day dessert However, now that I haven't got the 24th, I am now struggling to fit everything in every evening between now and Christmas Eve when someone will have to A, not drink and B, come and pick me up so I can participate in our very small reduced Christmas gathering for this year. To say I'm pissed is an understatement. I am livid. I feel very let down and I don't think that this is much of a thank you for the horrific year we've had. Not as a business but as pe- as individuals we've had a pretty horrific year. Come on, can anybody say this has been the best year I've ever had? Well, there may be a few people who can say that but I don't think I'm one of them. In fact, I know I'm not one of them. Anyway, that is I think part of the stress. Another part of the stress is the fact that I feel stuck and static and I'm not sure why because I've got the podcast, I've been guesting on people's shows, I've met a load of amazing people, mostly through Twitter funnily enough which is very unusual when you consider the talk about Twitter and how it's such an angry and negative place but there is something going on in my head and I'm hoping it's not a sign that I am hitting a downward slope because they are really hard to come back from. Yes, I feel isolated and alone, as I mentioned in last week's episode, and that hasn't changed. I am still living alone, again, not going to change in a hurry. And I like having my own bathroom. But I think this enforced isolation courtesy of having stupid immune disorders and diabetes yay thank you so much for whoever decided that was a good idea and also the fact that the majority of the people I know have already set their bubbles means that I am kind of on the outside looking in and it's not going to change until the rules change and then of course we get the news that they are talking of cancelling Christmas luckily they haven't done it I know that many people will say oh well it's really selfish of you to want to see people over Christmas it's like I live alone I haven't seen people very much I actually saw my sister my sister-in-law my niece and my mum last Friday and that was the first time I have seen anyone since September we're in December That's three months since I've actually seen a person and been near enough to them to have a conversation that wasn't over Zoom or Skype or WhatsApp. So I think though I'm one of these people that's at risk, one of the vulnerable, the fact that my niece has had two COVID tests since she got back from university The fact that my nephew is also being incredibly careful because he has diabetes. My mum hasn't been at work since last August when she started her chemotherapy. We're all being very, very careful. We're not going out and partying with all manner of people every day of the week. I'm barely seeing people at all. 
most of my human contact is over Skype. I don't think they've quite mastered transmitting COVID over Skype yet. And if they had, I think that they'd be sending out letters about it because it would be some kind of odd, not great miracle. So I am still on my own. I am still getting frustrated and fed up with pretty much everything. My temper is actually better, which is a good thing. I think those four days off really helped. However, if Christmas gets destroyed, I will be swinging for somebody. Christmas for me this year is going to be three days, the 24th, 25th and 26th. And in fact, not even the whole of the 24th because I will be working and it will be part of the 27th when I will be brought home because I am staying with my mum. We are both vulnerable. We have both been isolating. So if I catch anything, (laughs) I'm catching it from her and vice versa. And as I haven't been anywhere apart from with her, I haven't touched anything. I haven't breathed in anything. I haven't been anywhere near anybody who's been ill. I think that we are pretty much set for safe. Of course, things could change and the government could decide that we are going into complete lockdown again. But I think if they did that right now, they would find themselves suffering at the hands of a rebellion. I don't want to talk any more about mental health because this is really, really stressful for everybody. This time of year is stressful for pretty much the entire universe. And it's difficult to be alone during the rest of the year but being alone at Christmas is something that nobody wants even if they are happy being alone for the rest of the year and on that note I'm going to stop talking about this because it's really not the most yay subject on the planet however I do have announcements (laughs) which are positive I am making a few guest appearances over the next two weeks. In fact, my first one was released on Monday night on Be Nostalgic when I talked with B and Andrew about one of my favourite films from the 80s, The Lost Boys. If you haven't seen the film, watch it. If you haven't listened to the show yet, go and find it. It's on Spotify, it's on Apple, and it's on a fair few other podcatchers on the internet. So just find it and listen to it. They've covered a load of really good nostalgic films like My Girl and Matilda and Mr. Bean even. (laughs) Someone I didn't get. So please go and listen and let them know what you think of it. It's a fantastically fun show. I'm also going to be doing an exchange this year with Lorraine from Once Upon a Nightmare. As I mentioned That episode for me is going to be airing next Thursday and Lorraine will be releasing hers next Tuesday. So all that means is you'll get two episodes of me next week, possibly three, and I will be able to let you know more about that on Twitter later on. 
Thank you for listening and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. I release a new one every week, so if you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends or your family and post a review on one of the many podcatchers out there like iTunes or Podchaser. You can follow me over on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Facebook at Not Before Coffee Podcast. I update on both quite a lot. Well, I need yet another cup of coffee as I definitely have not had enough today. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>